Uh, before I begin, let me just say thank you so much for your support, um, your prayers, uh, as, as the uh, laying of hands just then really showed. Um, we have been constantly reminded since we uh, started this role how many people are around us, how many of the people of God are around us supporting us and praying for us, and it is a wonderful encouragement. Uh, school, ca school chaplaincy can be lonely at times. Reminders like this are a, a great strength. Let's pray before we look at God's word. Lord our God, we thank you that in these last days you've spoken to us finally and fully by your son Jesus. Please help us to see him today, this morning, that we would love him more and know your love for us. Amen. One of the greatest Christian books of all time is, of course, St. Augustine's Confessions. It's also widely regarded as the first autobiography ever written. I read this work back when I was studying ancient history at university in my early 20s. And in one of the chapters, that, particularly one that stood out to me at the time, was Augustine's description of his life as a teenager. It resonated with me. He speaks about how he and some friends decided to steal some pears from a neighbouring farmer. It wasn't that they wanted the fruit. They had their own supply of fruit at home. They had plenty. He says that the pears weren't even very good and they didn't eat them once they stole them. They just threw them at things. It wasn't that they hated the farmer and they wanted to hurt him. It was, he says, simply the thrill of the crime. But it was a thrill that he wouldn't have done or sought on his own, but with his friends, everything was different. I'm pretty sure, speaking to a room like this, that most of us can think of a time when we've done some pretty stupid things, things that we wouldn't have done on our own, but with our teenage or childhood friends, they seemed like a great idea at the time. Please nod if that's true, because I hope I'm not the only one. Um, I, I remember quite clearly as you know, late primary school, early teenage years, you know, doing just stupid stuff like throwing eggs at houses and cars on ha at Halloween with my schoolmates. I wouldn't have dreamed of going out on my own and doing something like that. But with my friends, there was something about the group that just made, it, made me want to do it. It made it thrilling. And of course, the teenage years when we desire, when the, is when the desire for friends or to be known and loved by friends is at its highest. But we never quite escape that. Throughout our lives, human interaction, human sociality, human relationships can be the very difference between a happy life and one marked by despair. As, as, um, as you, of course, know by now, uh, in my work as a school chaplain, um, one of the things that uh, I do is teach classes. And, and I remember doing one particular exercise with some classes where I got them to look at the difference between happiness and joy. And I asked at some point, what are the things that bring joy into our lives? And various answers were, were offered in these lessons, uh, success, reaching your goals, financial freedom, and so on. But, but the one thing that everyone mentioned, every class mentioned every time, and the one thing that was completely uncontested by anyone was human relationships. Everyone saw that as a source of joy, strong friends, strong family life, and a sense of finding your place in a community. This, of course, is how God has made us, to be social creatures, to, to live together. Any uh, parent or anyone who knows parents will know that children, for far longer than you expect, don't want to sleep alone. To sleep in mum and dad's bed is just about their greatest dream come true. 
there is something I think deeply natural about wanting to be with people all of the time. And I, I say this as an introvert who, who absolutely loves some alone time every now and then. And, and you know, um, Penn went away on a work trip on Friday night. I have the bed to myself. I just starfish out in a queen bed, and that's 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 brilliant. I, I love it, right? But not for long. All of us, introvert or not, need human interaction, human connection, human approval. But that's not the only thing we need. We, we also, uh, maybe even before we seek human approval, we desire financial security. Now, that's a very modern way to put it. But what it really means is that we desire to have our basic needs met. We don't want to worry, worry about having to buy food, worry about where we're going to live, affording clothes, petrol, furniture, and so on for us and our family. Christians sometimes speak as if seeking financial security is a bad thing, but of course it's not. It's, it's simply the desire to have our basic needs met and, not to have to, and to not have to worry about meeting them. So this is true. that There are two basic human desires that I, I want to um, build on today. Uh, the first is that we need others in our lives, and the second is that, that uh, we need our, our basic needs met. The question is, why would anyone forego the, those two things? Why would anyone give them up? I don't know about you, but I, I found our reading in Revelation today quite disturbing. Because when we delve into it, we find Christ, we find Jesus himself commanding one particular ancient church to do just that, to suffer socially and financially. And maybe he's calling us to be willing to do it too. Now why and how? Well, the name of the church that Jesus speaks to here, as you've already heard, is the church in Thyatira. Thyatira, like the other churches we've been looking at in this series, is in ancient Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, what's particularly significant about Thyatira, and quite uh, different in its emphasis in Thyatira, was the prominence of various trade guilds. They had guilds for clothes makers and bakers, tanners, potters, linen workers, wool merchants, slave traders, shoemakers, dyers, coppersmiths, and, and many, many more. For virtually every economic activity, there was a trade guild in Thyatira. It was famous for it. The guilds were an association of people in the same industry. Now, this would have had social benefits, but it would have had a lot of financial benefits because you could network with people who may be your future employers or employees. You could make business deals and so on. But in Roman times, an essential element and really a central purpose for why these guilds developed in the first place was worship. It was to offer worship and sacrifices to the God of your trade so that they would prosper your trade in the city and beyond. In a city like Thyatira, known for its guilds, if you wanted to have any success financially and if you wanted any kind of social respect or friendship, you had to be part of a guild. Guilds were, were voluntary, strictly speaking, but if you didn't join one, you'd certainly know about it. And so our letter opens with these words, verse 18, these, halfway through. These are the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. In the social context, it reads like a word to the metalworkers of Thyatira. 
Jesus, not the Greek god Hephaestus, is the god of fire and the forge and the god of the metal workers. Jesus, whose eyes are like fire and feet, stable and firm, are like burnished bronze. It's Jesus, who is the Lord of the trades. Now the church, um, in the next verse, uh, there's a description that says the church has done some things really well. They have love and faith, service and perseverance, and they're doing more than they were when they, when they first came to, to faith, to know Jesus. Their faith and deeds have grown. But there is this great problem, and I'm looking at verse 20. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, Jezebel, I don't think, I don't think this is the literal name of a person in the church. It's metaphorical. Jezebel, the story of Jezebel is from 1 Kings 18 to 22. She's the wife of King Ahab, and she's famous for her persecution of Elijah and the prophets of God and for introducing Baal worship into the royal court. It appears that what's going on in Thyatira is that there's a, a church leader, a woman, who is teaching something that, while looking sincere, goes against the teachings of Christ. And, and we have a clue there about what it might involve. It says, beguiling my servants to practice fornication, sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. If you are a member of a trade guild, as I've, as I've already said, worship to the God of your trade was essential. But what followed the worship was the eating of the food that you'd sacrificed to the idol together. And what often followed that was kind of ritual sexual practices. Now, it could, the fornication could be a metaphor for idol worship in general. But then again, what you find when you go to a Greek pagan temple where you worship and sacrifice is a bunch of temple prostitutes. So it seems like we have an early church leader who's teaching that it's okay for a Christian to participate in the trade guild in virtually every way or desired way. Maybe she taught, you know, we're free from sin. Sin, sin cannot hurt us anymore because of Christ. We can even explore Satan's depths. We are so invulnerable, which would explain the reference to the deep secrets of Satan in verse 24. Whatever it was that she specifically taught, it was clear that she was encouraging cowardice over courage. And it was incredibly popular. Now think back to Augustine stealing the pears for a second. And imagine if that moment where the, the friends, you know, I can imagine it, they come up with this idea, what are we going to do this afternoon? Oh, let's, let's steal the pears from that farmer. That uh, They come up with this idea and, and Augustine decides to speak up and says, look, look guys, I, I just think it's the wrong thing to do. I'm not, I'm not going to join you in it. Now, that statement would, re- would require a heck of a lot of courage from a teenage boy, quite a lot. And, and it would almost certainly result in some kind of mockery or teasing or social exclusion from his friends. Now, you've got to remember that, that, that the average Christian in Thyatira had a job. They were involved in the economic activity of the city. They were probably converted when they were already part of a trade guild. And if they left the guild, they would suffer something very close to what we call unemployment, as well as social exclusion and shame. It would require a lot of courage. They would suffer a loss of two of our most basic human needs and desires. Jezebel, whoever she she is, is telling them, 
You don't have to suffer that. You can be part of the guild, you can worship the Greek god, you can participate in associated practices, and socially you'll be okay, financially you'll be okay. You can steal the pears. It's fine. Well, Jesus, through John, the writer of Revelation, says actually, Jesus calls himself to us exclusively, whatever the cost. Why? Why is he so exclusive? I mean, I'm, I'm a parent of, of three young boys, as you know, and I want them to have friends. I don't want them to suffer socially. I'm worried when I, th- I think they, they, they don't have enough so- social contact. And I want them to have their basic needs met. Here, my eldest the other day left his um, lunch at home and I turned up to his classroom in the morning to give it to him. I, I didn't want him to go hungry. And I remember my mum doing exactly the same for me when I was a kid. So why would Jesus want people he loves to suffer financially and socially? Have a look at uh, uh, what, ha- what follows in the passage is this great warning about um, uh, Jezebel and um, the, the, the suffering that will come if she persists. But after this, we have this promise in verse 26. To everyone who conquers and continues to do my works in the end, I will give authority over the nations to rule them with an iron rod, as when clay pots are shattered, even as I also received authority from my father. To the one who conquers, I will also give the morning star. Authority over the nations, ruling them with an iron rod, dashing them like clay pots. It sounds terribly sinister and not something that most of us would be attracted by or or desire, but it's a quote from Psalm 2. That was our first reading today. And it's talking about the Messiah. It's talking about the power that the Messiah will have to overthrow his enemies. The, The Messiah that we now know as Jesus, who has victory over his enemies of sin and death and suffering and evil, and he dashes them to pieces like clay pots. Hallelujah. This is a promise that we will be united with Christ and will experience the victory of resurrection life in its fullest in the kingdom of God. And so that little section concludes with, I will also give the morning star. What's this morning star? The final chapter of Revelation, about halfway through verse, verse 16 of chapter 22 says this, Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Jesus himself is the morning star. In about two months, the Tokyo Olympics are due to occur. And of course, there's been this great controversy around whether this can go ahead due to the COVID world that we live in. But let's assume that they will and imagine for a second an event. Let's say it's the 200 metre swimming, a very Australian And the nations are lined up there on the blocks. The athletes have literally dedicated their lives to this moment. They have trained day in and day out to get themselves into the fittest condition they could possibly be. They have been meticulous with their diet, fanatical about getting enough sleep. Everything is built around winning gold. But just before the race, one very promising contender for the goal decides you know I don't really feel like winning today the, the, the pool looks nice that's for sure so maybe I'll just jump in do some bombs splash around have a bit of a float on my back and, and enjoy the water and the race begins and that's exactly what she does she has a great time in the pool but everyone else 
So, but someone else takes exactly what she's been working for and dreaming of her entire life, the gold medal. Now, it's a silly little ex hypothetical example. No one in their right mind would do that, of course. But then again, are we humans good at trading greater things for lesser things, for taking instant gratification over delayed gratification? My question a moment ago was, why would Jesus ask those he loves to suffer socially and financially? The answer is because he has given us something far, far better himself. He is better than any friendship, any relationship. He is more secure, more reliable, contains more freedom and happiness than any amount of wealth or financial security could ever bring. He asks his people to refuse to participate in the guild because he knows that if they did, they would be trading in something wonderful for something terrible, something beautiful for something horrifyingly ugly. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus really is more beautiful and more satisfying than anything else in all existence? Because it's true. You know, every human relationship contains the, the, the possibility or Maybe I, should, maybe I should say that the, the necessity with time of some kind of neglect or betrayal or disappointment. And as beautiful as human relationships are, we, we should never expect them to meet our desire for companionship or community fully. And I actually think it's really cruel to expect that out of the people in your lives because they can't do it. But Jesus can. Jesus can meet our desire for human relationship fully and perfectly forever because he's God in the flesh and no career or financial strategy or investment or store of wealth can ever be fully secure can ever protect us from what might come in the future no amount of money or possessions can bring us certain freedom or lack of fear it always has the possibility of threat and hasn't the arrival of COVID taught us across the world that life is unpredictable and at times uncontrollable but you know what is secure and sure and truly freeing and has real power to drive away fear? The love of Christ for you. That's sure. That is secure. That is something that you can rely on forever. Because Christ is better at meeting our human desires and loves more than anything we might imagine. Teach your heart to believe that's true. Cling to that and never let it go. Christ is the morning star and he's already yours. God is likely not calling you personally today to give up your friends or your job or your money. I don't think we can cookie-cutter Thyatira's situation directly onto ours. But he is calling us, to, each of us, to assess where we may be taking the easy road, where we may be trading greater things for lesser things, where we may be telling ourselves that living a certain way and doing certain things is okay. Uh, before I was a chaplain, I worked in parish ministry for a few years in a role similar to Kieran's. And when I did make the move to school chaplaincy, one of the things that I immediately noticed was the change in the workplace culture. And what I mean is that, that for me, uh, where I was working, every one of my colleagues and everyone I, I, I did almost anything with through my work was a Christian. 
in, in school chaplaincy, almost all the staff are not, especially in the western suburbs of Perth. And it is so much easier now for me to begin to think like those around me, to act like them, to talk like them, to explain the world like them. Because much like those from the church in Thyatira, I have a social connection with them and and that matters. And much like those from Thyatira, my job in many ways depends on me having positive relationships with those in the Christchurch community. You know, I don't want to mess that up. Now, I believe it is possible to be faithful to Christ and have positive relationships with my community, but it's not simple. It's not easy. And I'm sure you know this. You know, it may be clergy like, uh, in situations like I wa- was uh, that may suffer from a lack of awareness of the secular world because of the environment they work in, but most of you don't. You're surrounded by people who think that your ideas are crazy. You live next to people and your kids and grandkids are on soccer teams with people like this. Real people. The call of God to you today is to remember that Christ is more beautiful and more valuable and more satisfying than anyone else or anything else. And so God calls you to live that truth with courage. To live it like you mean it. Because as Paul says in Philippians... Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. May God bless you in the week ahead as you love Christ courageously. Amen.